Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger, and even helped clients lose weight, stop smoking, and end sleep disorders. Worldwide, people have sought out Reiki Oasis. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, (laughs) heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. And um, if you can hear in the background, um, the leaf blowers are here. And uh, my guest gave me a great idea just to say, you know what, that actually fits in. And I do believe all of life fits into everything that happens in some very strange way. We're going to have a great uh, conversation this morning with my guest, Steve Taylor. And I don't know, maybe we need those dead leaves blown away out of our life. What do you think, Steve? Maybe, huh? (laughs) Possibly, yeah. It's time for a new beginning, um, you know, without all of those dead leaves hanging over us. I think it is time for a new beginning. And this is absolutely a new way to begin my show. So (laughs) all of you guys listening, I hope you're having a wonderful morning. And of course, this uh, show is airing on Thanksgiving here in the United States. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And um, thank you for working with me. Because as you know, sound is part of our reality. I sometimes think if we just allow it to be there, it helps us. So I am Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 27 years. And um, I really enjoy helping people. It's one of my joys of life. Those of you that know me know that I had major life transitions a couple of different times. I feel like I've revamped myself a few times. And that's kind of a good foundation for what we're going to be talking about later on. We're in a time of such great change on our planet, and uh, in a moment, I'll give you a little bit of astrology to support that. So, um, like I say, I do run Reiki Oasis. We do have lots of good things. You can find me at ReikiOasis.com, or you can schedule at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. And a big shout out and, and gratitude to my listeners who help support this show. We are a listener-supported show. You can go to patreon.com slash the Loretta Brown show and be part of that inner circle. And uh, one last um, announcement at the end of every year, I do a very sacred ceremony called a despacho. It's called a prayer bundle and it comes from the shamanic traditions of Peru. And one of the things I'm trained in, everybody loves this. It's a great way to clear out the old year get rid of all that, blow all those dead leaves away, Steve, and (laughs) invite the new year in. So you can sign up for that. I will be doing it via Zoom. I actually did that last year. And although I really miss having everybody in in, um, circle in person, it actually works really, really good on Zoom. So sign up. It will be Tuesday evening, December 28th at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time because I'm located in the Seattle area. If you have questions about anything, uh, please get a hold of me either through the radio station, 1150 AM KKNW, or through ReikiOasis.com. Now, very quick astrology update, and then I'm going to bring my guest on because we've got a lot of really great things to talk about. So November 21st, 22nd, the sun moved out of watery Scorpio into the fire sign of Sagittarius, I feel like I want to say thank you for moving (laughs) out of Scorpio and into Sagittarius. During Scorpio season, we are called by all that is to dive into our shadows and make peace with some of our darker and deeper emotions. We may have felt ourselves turning inward and retreating from the world around us to journey through that shadowy parts of self. But as the sun shifts into Sagittarius season, we're able to return to the light once more as we see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it it, it feels to me like collectively, we also have been going through what people will call the dark night of the soul. We've been going down into those shadowy regions, seeing what's down there. It's been coming to the surface. And 
there is a light at the end of the tunnel. As we enter this new phase, we may feel renewed, excited, and curious about what is to come. Under the Sagittarius sun, life feels expansive, and we feel drawn to learn, to grow, to teach, to explore, and to find the inspiration to make the most of the rest of the year. Sagittarius is represented by the centaur aiming its arrow high into the starry sky. If we look at where his arrow is pointed, we find the star Antares, which is known as the heart of the scorpion. The heart of the scorpion is a deep and magical place. It is where we are reminded of what really matters, what really counts, and what fills our hearts. So make it a point this season to fill your days with things that excite your spirit and ignite the fiery flame of your heart. We're also going to have the final eclipse of the year in Scorpion, Scorpio and Venus retrograde in Cancer and a lot more. So a question for you, how do you want to spend the rest of the year? When you look back on 2021, how do you want to remember it and feel about it? Because you still have time to guide your life forward. So we can't change the past, we can't go back in time, but we can certainly go forward and be reminded that we still have the chance to fill it with things that ignite our soul. And having said that, I'd love to welcome my guest, Steve Taylor, to the show. Steve is considered one of the most influential spiritual people, even though he's a, a psychologist, psychotherapy studies in that. And uh, in recent times, psychologists have devoted time to studying a phenomenon known as post-traumatic growth or PTG. The idea that different types of trauma, such as bereavement, serious illness, accidents, oppression, divorce, and other things may ultimately lead to significant personal development. So my guest today, Steve Taylor, PhD, the author of Extraordinary Awakenings, When Trauma Leads to Transformation, is a senior lecturer in psychology in the UK. He's regularly on media over there, and he's, he, do, he, he do, does so many things. In his new book, he investigates another related phenomenon called transformation through turmoil, or TTT, which occurs when intense psychological sufferings bring about a sudden and dramatic shift into a new identity. In this book, you will meet some amazing human beings. He gives wonderful stories, all of whom have experienced the worst predicaments that human life can offer, but have responded to their suffering, not by breaking down, but by shifting up to a higher functioning awakened state like a phoenix rising from its ashes wow steve welcome to the show i actually you're just so in alignment with the energies and, and the evolution of consciousness on the planet it's great to have you here today yeah thanks loretta great to be with you yeah um could you give us a little bit of background about yourself in case my listeners do not know who you are and what led you to write this book? That's kind of a big question. I was um, I was a spiritual seeker for a long time, and a, a spiritual explorer. And but in my, in my in my early years, I was a musician, a musician, a poet, a writer. But I became interested in an area called transpersonal psychology, which is um, the type of psychology which studies spirituality. So as I'd always had, I'd always had spiritual experiences myself. And I was always interested in philosophy and psychology. So I decided I wanted to study spiritual experiences and find out why they arise and why they come and go and um, how they change people. I, was, I think I was basically trying to understand my own experiences. And that led me to the, the phenomenon of transformation through turmoil, which, I mean, I, I suffered from depression when I was younger. And, but I would have these moments of euphoria and ecstasy and feelings of connection and spiritual enlightenment. So I realized that they were connected, but they were probably connected to the, to the depression I was going through. So I began to study those experiences in other people. Um, 
You know, I've had experiences like like that myself, and I think probably a lot of listeners can relate to that. But I want to ask you a question. What is the difference between an awakening experience and being awakened? Awakening experiences are temporary. You could call them spiritual experiences. So they, they last for maybe a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few hours, maybe a few days if you're very lucky. But there's always a return to a normal limited state of consciousness. So in an awakening experience, there's a sudden feeling of connection to your surroundings, a feeling of love for other people, a feeling that you're being taken out of yourself and the world has become more meaningful and more beautiful and life has become more harmonious. And there's a feeling that you're, you're seeing the truth of things. You know, there's a feeling that your normal view of reality is limited and false, but something a kind of veil has slipped away and you're seeing things as they, as they really are. But um, awakening as a state is an ongoing thing. You know, it doesn't fade away. It's not always at the same level of intensity. You don't always experience a, a feeling of oneness with, with the world or a sense of ecstasy, but it's always there kind of in the background as your normal state. So if, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, being awakened, because your book is called Extraordinary Awakenings, When Trauma Leads to Transformation, this is something that stays with you and it changes you. So you show up different. That's right. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people reported it as if they were different people living in the same body because it was such a radical transformation. So I, I spoke to soldiers and prisoners and bereaved people and addicts and people who were diagnosed with cancer and so on. And they all said that the change was so dramatic that, you know, that they felt they, they literally felt that they were different people and they kind of, they shifted. I call them shifters because they shifted up to a new level of being, you know, they, they, they transcended the normal anxieties of life and they, they transcended a feeling of being separate and they, they had a constant feeling of being connected to the world and connected to other people. They had a constant sense of the, the wonder of being alive and the beauty of nature and a constant sense of gratitude, you know, for the simple things in life and for life itself. These extreme things that happen, I am, uh, uh, you know, searching back in my own memory as you're talking, um, you know, I went on a vision quest years and years ago and had an experience where I did some kind of a shift like that, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually remember um, coming home from that. It was a very small group of us that went up into the mountains with the, with the wisdom keepers, right? And it, when we came back, we all were giggling about looking at people like those people in those cars. Everybody looked different. <laughs> the air looked different that we had a different yeah. idea of ourselves. Like we went through this and, and it forever changed us. Um, and it has stayed with me, you know, it really shifted the trajectory of my life. Yeah. But I, I, I want to ask you, are there any, um, can anybody experience this or are there certain things that you've discovered through your research, like certain types of people or what is it that, that makes this happen? Right. That's quite a big, a big question, you know, because everybody goes through trauma and, and crisis at some point. It's part of human life. You know, we're all going to experience it again and again at various points in our lives. We're all going to go through bereavement, for example. We're going to become seriously ill and so forth. But, yeah, as you say, not everybody experiences this transformation. I think it's quite common. I think it's more common than most people realize, but it's not, you know, the common response the most common response to trauma. So there is, there are some things which differentiate people, uh, people who transform and people who break down. And one way of thinking of the transformation was that it, it was almost as if there was a latent spiritually awakened self inside some people that was waiting to, to be born. It was there, it was fully formed and it was just waiting, just like a, like mm. a, a chick, which is waiting to hatch inside an egg it was ready to emerge but people needed to go through trauma to break down the the normal ego so that this spiritual self could emerge because it was ready to emerge 
And I think that in some cases that, that, I mean, I think maybe everybody has some kind of latent spiritual self inside them, but maybe in some people it's not quite ready to emerge. It's not quite fully formed, or maybe it's just not stable enough to emerge. Just as, you know, in some cases, a, you know, a chick is not ready to hatch, you know, it's got to wait for the right moment. But another thing is that it, it, it also depended on people's attitude towards their predicaments. So for example, if somebody was diagnosed with cancer, um, they, they had to re respond with an attitude of acknowledgement and acceptance rather than sort of resisting it, pushing it away, refusing to face the reality of it. They had to acknowledge the enormity of the situation and accept it and let go of any resistance not push it away, just open themselves to the situation to embrace it fully as a part of their reality. And that's when transformation would occur. In fact, many people could identify a particular moment when their transformation occurred. And it was usually in a moment of acceptance or surrender or letting go. Yeah, I love your description of that, that in them waiting to be birthed and um in your book you you mention uh like the higher self or something like that can you talk a little bit more about that actually what is that right well i've always had a strong feeling that what we call normality or the normal way of seeing the world or the normal way of being is actually kind of subnormal you know it's kind of aberrational <laughs> <laughs> and, mm -hmm. yeah. and if you if if you look at the world, <laughs> if you look at the way human societies function around the world, you can see that that's that's the case. It's not working very well. You know, our normal way of seeing the world, or our normal way of functioning. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. I <laughs> I'm kind of on board with you. I'm I'm laughing so hard because I just had a conversation with someone about this last night and. The synchronicity is just interesting. So please continue. Yeah, it's kind of pathological. You know, the normal way of human human functioning is quite pathological, which is why the world is filled with war and conflicts and dissatisfaction and ecological crises and so, and so forth. But when, when we shift into this different state of being, it is literally a higher state because everything becomes much more natural and easy and harmonious. You know, for, for example, the way that we, we normally relate to nature, you know, in our normal state, nature is a kind of like an incidental backdrop to our lives, which isn't really that important. We don't pay much attention to it. And, you know, in our, in our societies, we exploit nature. We use up natural resources yeah. in a very reckless way, in a very irresponsible way, almost as if we're, you know, nature is just there for us to use and abuse. But when we shift into this higher state, this spiritually awakened state, our attitude to nature changes. Nature is suddenly alive and sacred. And we suddenly have a feeling of connection to nature, like we're part of nature. We're not, nature is not there for us to use. It is just there and we're part of it, you know. And therefore we have a, on the one hand, we have a much more respectful attitude to nature, a much more sacred attitude to nature. And, you know, we're, we're liable to treat the environment much more responsibly. So in, in theory, you know, if, if enough human beings shifted into this higher state, then the world would be much more harmonious and it would be free of a lot of the, the crises which are afflicting us at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about a couple of things while you're talking. Um, number one, you know, the um, pandemic, the events of the last couple of years have catapulted the collective world into a lot of turmoil right yeah and a lot of people you know i i sometimes get kind of wary of buzzwords like uh, it, we're going through a, an, an awakening you know we're ascending you know we're mm -hmm. becoming enlightened and I, I think at some point we're like well what does that mean so do, in in this time of great turmoil where many of us are being faced with that Maybe you could speak to that just a little bit and and bring in your your research, your your teachings, your knowing. It is a. I think the pandemic has been a great opportunity for awakening. 
it's been a great opportunity for post-traumatic growth, even spiritual transformation. Because you know the, the whole principle of my book and my research is that um, crises and challenges can bring about a spiritual transformation. And you know they often do. If we respond to them in, in the right way, they, in, they inevitably bring growth and transformation if we are prepared to acknowledge and accept them and explore our own feelings about them. So, so collectively, you know, I think we're faced, we're in a, in a similar position to a person who is diagnosed with a serious illness, like cancer, for example. It's well known, this has been a finding of my research, that a diagnosis of cancer can suddenly jolt somebody into a higher state of being. It can suddenly trigger a spiritual awakening, you know, almost as if it allows that latent spiritual self to hatch inside them. And I think, I think that's because the old ego, the normal ego, dissolves away in the face of the crises and the, and the danger and the, and, you know, the possibility of death. So in a sense, we're all, we're all collectively in a similar position. You know, we're facing, on the one hand, we have the pandemic. We have lots of other crises too, most significantly ecological crises. Yeah. So in a sense, we're all suffering from, the whole human race is suffering from an illness. You know, the earth is suffering from an illness. And, you know, that has been very manifest over the last 18 months or so with the, the pandemic and the lockdown. And the lockdown, you know, it, it helps us to, it's an opportunity for us to reevaluate our lives, to retreat from the world and, you know, find out what's really important and to find out what we're grateful for, you know, to appreciate the simple things in our lives and the simple facts of being alive itself. Yeah. And also it's an opportunity for us to, to be still and to contemplate nature and to, you know, reestablish a connection to nature, which I think a lot of people have. So, yeah, as I said, I, I think it is an opportunity for collective spiritual growth. You said something there, the appreciation of life, right? Yeah. And, and that also has us look at death, right, our, our mortality. Mm. In your book, you share some wonderful stories about life through death. And um, could you share with the listening audience um, maybe an example of what we're talking about, you know, in a living level of life example from your book? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one example is a, a woman called Irene, who I interviewed. And in 2003, she was diagnosed with cancer. And her cancer was quite aggressive quite advanced she was told that she maybe only had six months to a year left to live and at the time she was a, a successful professional person she I think she was an IT manager at a pharmaceutical company and she was very driven she was very career focused and her friends used to say to her you're, you're trying too hard you know you need to relax but she was just really driven and really focused on her career so the, the cancer diagnosis was you know turned her life upside down but rather than being distraught and distressed she reacted by suddenly being jolted into a higher state and that happened right after she was diagnosed with cancer she she writes she, she told me that how she she left the room and walked through the the town and everything looked different the trees looked incredibly beautiful and alive all of the people seemed to be emanating energy and the sky seemed to be filled with a kind of radiance and she was filled with this kind of ecstasy and she said it was partly because it was the first time she'd ever been aware of the reality of death. And suddenly she felt so grateful just to be alive in that moment. You know, it, it, she, was, she suddenly became aware of how precious and how fragile and temporary life is. And she expected the state to fade away, but it didn't. It remained as a kind of constant um, feeling. It became slightly less intense, but it remained in a, in a more stable way. Unfortunately, her cancer went into remission, but the state remained. She remained in this kind of ecstatic, appreciative state with this feeling, with this feeling of connection to the world and this feeling of spiritual well-being inside her. So she, she had to give up her job. She couldn't carry on working as an IT manager. 
<laughs> not that there's anything wrong with the 19. No, no, 19. no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but but she wanted to do something more you know, more altruistic, you know, that involved more contact with people. So she retrained as a therapist and a counselor, and she began to work with other cancer patients. And I guess the the, the, the sad aspect of the story is that after 13 years, her cancer finally returned, and she she passed away a few years ago. But I spoke to her not long before she died and she said she just felt so grateful that she'd had 13 years living in this heightened state, really being awakened and fulfilled, you know, so she was, even though obviously she was sad that her life was coming to an end, but she was really grateful for these 13 years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. 13 years living that way, as opposed to what had been happening before. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the uh, types of turmoils that your uh, people in your book, and by the way, how did you find the people to interview for your book? It was quite strange, really. Um, but it's, it's a feeling I've had before with some other books that, that when I'm writing a book, things kind of seem to fall into my lap. They seem to sort of gravitate towards me. And I think, oh, that's perfect. You know, where did that come from? It's, it's, it's exactly what I need. So people actually wrote to me and say, oh, I've read about your work and I've had this amazing spiritual experience after, after being an addict for 10 years or after being uh, bereaved and so on. So people wrote to me and also uh, sometimes people contacted me and say, oh, I know somebody who, who would really interest you. I know somebody who's had a, a spiritual transformation. So it happened very easily and spontaneously. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've forgotten the, the question you asked before that. <laughs> No, I, I wanted to know how you found these people. And then I wanted you to just sort of uh, share with the audience what, what some of the turmoils are that oh, they've gone through, because you really right. cover a lot of things in the book, right? Yeah. And, and I want people to, that, number one, for anybody that's able to see, here's your beautiful book. And mm. um, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I, I have to tell you that uh, some of the stories, I feel like I got to go back and read again they're they're real it's rich you know it's yeah rich. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah thank you yeah. but um one of them the richest areas was incarceration or imprisonment in fact i i found so many examples of prisoners who'd undergone spiritual transformation that i had to i had to devote two chapters to it because there were so many so on the one hand i found historical examples of people who were in uh the soviet gulags Stalin's gulags in the 1950s, 1960s. Also some examples from the Nazi concentration camps. So th th there were stories about people who'd, you know, they, they were so broken down. They were living in such a state of deprivation uh, and poverty that they were almost, you know, they, they were barely alive almost. But something inside them, when they were close to death or when they were nearly starved or, or, or when they'd almost given up hope, something would kind of be activated inside them, this kind of deep, so they, they sometimes called it a soul force, which would emerge in the, you know, um, in, in states of deprivation, which would, it would give them kind of energy to carry on. And it would help to sustain them through the freezing temperatures and the lack of food and the brutality. It would sort of give them an internal radiance, which also spread to everything around them. So, you know, they were aware of the beauty of, even even in the you know the 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 terrible environment around them, they were aware of beauty and wonder. Yeah. So there, there were lots of those examples, but also contemporary prisoners. I, I found lots of examples. And for example, there's there's one guy. Um, he's in prison now in Arkansas. Uh, he's been in prison um, since the age of 16. He was convicted at the age of 15, and so now he's been in prison for almost 40 years, I think. And he, um, he had a terrible upbringing, which led to his life of crime, very, very traumatic upbringing. And as you can imagine, you know, he had a tra very traumatic time in prison. It was a very turbulent environment. He was subjected to all kinds of, you know, abuse and, and aggression. But after eight years of being in the turbulent environment of the prison, he began to spontaneously meditate. And he said it was because there was so much turbulence around him in the prison that he had no option but to go inside himself. There was nowhere else to go. That was the only possible way of finding peace was to go inside. 
So he began to close his eyes and concentrate on his breathing and just, just, he didn't know what meditation was, but it was just spontaneous. And he said that after a, a few weeks of meditating every day, something gave way inside him. It was as if, as if a kind of wall collapsed or gave way inside him. And he said suddenly he had this ability to empathize with other people, which he'd never had before because of his traumatic upbringing. And he could suddenly sense other people's feelings. And he suddenly felt, you know, a real sense of sadness about his past and about his crimes and his victims. And also a sense of acceptance. He had this feeling that the only way to, to, to be happy in a situation was to embrace it and accept it. So he began to practice acceptance in his daily life. And he's become a bit of um, a legend you know, amongst prisoners and prison guards because he has, he has this amazing serenity inside him. And people sort of gravitate towards him and talk about their problems. He's a, a kind of um, a naturally awakened person who, who other people appreciate. And, then, and uh, I found you know, quite a, a lot of similar stories from the UK and, and different places around the world. I um, I'm thinking about that, and um, I'm also thinking about some of the uh, uh, quote unquote spiritual practices that people do, such as you know go meditate in a cave for thirty years or whatever, you know, um, which is self imposed, obviously, as opposed to mm. um, this this is <laughs> imposed upon you, right? And yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, it's very similar to monks. You know, monks yeah. um, mm -hmm. take themselves away from ordinary society. They even live in cells, you know, um, yeah. and they they give away. They live without possessions, without worldly ambitions, and so on. But but as you say, they choose to live that way. But it kind of illustrates that that prison has a a great deal of spiritual potential. Yeah, yeah, that that time with the self, right? Mm. You got to be with yourself which <laughs> we all know that, what that's like, maybe good, maybe bad, right? But it, it's really making me think about a lot of things. And um, I have a question for you. Do, you know, do we need to suffer? You know, do we need it to transform or awaken? And I've always asked this, like people come to me and they'll tell me these stories about their brokenheartedness. And I'm like, why does the heart have to break, right? Mm -hmm. So do we need that? Not necessarily. I mean, there are different ways to become spiritually awake, spiritually awakened. And this is, you know, this is one of the most kind of what, what how could we put it? One of the most kind of brutal ways. It is quite a brutal yeah. way to become spiritually brutal. awakened. But there is a, a much more gradual way of becoming awakened, which is simply to follow certain practices and certain lifestyles, you know. And, you know, the, the, there, are, there are lots of practices, some of which are recognized as spiritual practices, some of which are not necessarily recognized as such but they can all lead us to spiritual awakening you know, like contact with nature for example is a great way of a great spiritual practice yeah. um I, I think that swimming and running are great spiritual practices because mm -hmm. they quieten the mind they connect us to our surroundings and obviously meditation service you know serving other people so you, you can follow any path of self-development which will lead you towards spiritual awakening in a in a much more gradual way yeah, I'm also getting from uh, your book and what you're saying that, you know, the, these people were not spiritual people necessarily. They they were put into a situation, um, you know, the, their trauma, their turmoil, right, um, mm. to where they they found their way there. And some of your people even, um, you know, discovered later that it was an awakening. I, I'll just loosely use that word, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. In fact, most of the people I interviewed did not have any background in spirituality. So they didn't really understand what had happened to them. You know, even, even though they felt great, even though they felt connected and exhilarated and they felt as though they'd been lifted up to a higher level, they were a little bit confused because they thought, hmm, have I gone crazy? Is this what madness is right. like? Or, right. Yeah. And, and uh, there were actually <laughs> yeah. one guy sorry i was like yeah are, am i did i am i psychic or psychotic i mean you know that's always kind of like my joke anyway go ahead yeah well <laughs> it's a tricky yeah. one because um you know we live in a culture which 
pathologizes any abnormal states and anything which is unusual. Ah, you're crazy. Yeah. And it was made more difficult because people, they would talk to their friends. They say, oh, this has happened to me. I'm looking at things in a different way. And they think, hmm, their friends think they're crazy. Their friends think, oh, they've been taking drugs or they've had a breakdown. So, and one guy um, who I interviewed, he, he, he was one of the people who underwent awakening in prison. When he was released from prison, he, he really tried to understand what had happened to him. So he bought a, a, he bought a textbook of psychiatric disorders and started <laughs> to leaf through the book looking for his disorder. <laughs> luckily, luckily, he didn't find it. And then he found a book about spirituality, about spiritual awakening. He thought, ah, this is me. You know, I'm not crazy. I've had a spiritual awakening. But it can take a while, you know, and, you know, in some cases, um, it can take a few years before people really understand what's happened to them. Because I, th- I think you do need to have a framework to make sense of it, you know, and sometimes people try to interpret it in conventional religious terms. They thought, oh, maybe, maybe it means I'm a Christian. I've had a born again religious experience. And, but that didn't really work because, um, they found that in order to be religious in that sense, you have to accept a lot of beliefs about reality, a lot of concepts, and they weren't really comfortable with the beliefs and concepts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually um, really glad we're doing this show because I would, uh, I would think that there are many people listening to this show who may have had um, some kind of transformation through turmoil, right? An extraordinary awakening. And, maybe never even talked about it or didn't know how to talk about it or were afraid people would think they're crazy or, you know, various shades of that. But yeah. 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 yeah That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think, um, you know, that they do seem to happen to people who don't know anything about spirituality. And so I, I, I often think that there are probably thousands of people around who've had this transformation, but have never talked to anybody about it. And they're sort of, you know, they're walking around anonymous, anonymously feeling, you know, ecstatic and connected and exhilarated, but they've not shared it with anybody directly. Yeah, I was thinking they may have lost friends and family and, <laughs> you know, hmm. and maybe they've changed their life for the better because it sounds to me like it lifts us up to that higher frequency where we perhaps are more compassionate or, or more aware you know, yeah, or, or have a different desire for things, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah. One person described it very well as um, there's a shift. There's a shift from a mode of taking from the world to giving to the world, or or a shift from accumulating things, accumulating success or achievement or wealth. There's a shift to contributing, you know, and serving other people and giving you know, helping the human race or helping the world or helping your society or community. So that's, that's one of the main changes. And often that does involve a change in career. A lot of people change their careers. Yeah. Or, or sometimes people just, just focus on a different aspect. They keep the same role, but focus on a different aspect. For example, there was one woman from, um, I'm not, she's from the South, one of the Southern states in the US, and she had an awakening uh, after a friend of her was a close friend was murdered and she she is and was the practice manager of a dermatology group but she used to be very focused on profit and you know increasing profit but she said now after her transformation she doesn't care about profit at all she just wants people to be happy she wants to serve the customers the, the clients and she really attends to them and you know focuses on their well-being so, yeah, it has become a much more enriching role. Yeah, I, um, I don't want to uh, make this show about me, but while you're talking, it's, it's niggling me. You know, I also did that. I did a career change. I actually had an a extraordinary awakening during a meditation. And um, I came out of that and just was like, I can't do what I was doing anymore. I had to step into this. Yeah. This kind right. of happens. So yeah, that 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 hatching of the yeah. egg inside you. Yeah. Know, Did it change your relationships to other people as well? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Totally uh, rocked my world. Blew it up and wow. Went in a different tra- trajectory, and so here I am, 26, mm-hmm. 27 years later. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's there's been more of those. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you: Is there a a a most common type of severe trauma that brings us to this point, or how would you? Well, I um, mean, as I've said already, uh, incarceration is a common um, trigger, but obviously, not many human beings experience incarceration. And also, like being a soldier, I, I found a lot of cases of uh, awakening in a military context, you know, in, amidst the trauma and turmoil of the battlefield or years of stress and anxiety and encounters with death. But obviously, again, not many human beings experience military combat. But amongst all of the common human experiences that we have, I found that bereavement was the most common trigger of, um, of extraordinary awakenings, because obviously we all go through bereavement at some point yeah, yeah. and you know bereavement can change everything it just turns our world upside down and it it sort of you know changes our perspective on reality once the you know once the world has settled into place again it looks different and we feel different yeah and you know it kind of it breaks down the world but often when things often when the world breaks down it kind of fuses together again at a higher level so that often happens after after bereavement. You know, it's interesting. Um, I do a month monthly class with women, and we at the beginning of this year, I focused on a practice called the kintsugi bowl, where we take a bowl and break it, and mm. then we put it back together. And so we've been working with that concept all year: is is it all right to quote unquote be broken? Can we look right at it? And when we put ourselves back together, can we reassemble in some meaningful fashion? Like what has happened mm. to us? And yeah. you you provide in your book a four-step process of responding to suffering and turmoil that really fits in with the work I've been doing with these women. Can you talk about that, please? Right, yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, the, the first stage is, you know, when crises or situations of turmoil arise in our lives, the first step is to, to face up to them, to, you know, to, to have an attitude of acknowledgement. It's kind of natural for human beings to avoid difficult situations. You know, we, we always yeah. try to avoid pain. It's just natural. But it's, it's often counterproductive to avoid pain. It's more productive to face up to pain and to contemplate if it's um, if it's a, a situation or a predicament which is bringing pain in your life, you have to sort of face up to the enormity of it, contemplate the reality of it. And so that's, that's the first stage, acknowledgement. And the second stage is facing up to the feelings that the situation emerges, uh, in, sorry, um, instills in you or triggers in you. So usually, you know, we, we feel a sense of anxiety, a sense of loss, a sense of insecurity and so forth. And again, it's natural for us to avoid these feelings. You know, we, we would rather go outside rather than encounter these feelings inside ourselves. But it's really important to acknowledge these feelings and to accept them. You know, that, you know they are natural. It's a natural reaction to any painful predicament. And the third stage is to actually go inside ourselves and explore our own beings because in the modern world we're kind of primed to to live externally and we lose ourselves in activity and distractions so it can be quite difficult for us to to actually go inside and explore our own being but that's really important it's really important to to give yourself time in quietness sometimes maybe in a supportive environment with a therapist perhaps yeah. just to go inside and explore your own being in these situations of, of turmoil. And often when we do that, we realize that there is a there is a space within our being between the person who, who is ob observing the feelings and the feelings themselves. So we, 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 we kind of root ourselves within a witnessing awareness. So we, re we realize that we are not those feelings. Those feelings are passing through us, but they don't identify us. You know, they, they don't define us. So once we're aware of that space, of this space, you know, there, there's, the feelings begin, begin to subside. 
And we realize that, you know, there is a part of us which cannot be hurt or injured by these feelings because it's, it exists in a state of wholeness and in a state of harmony. And the fourth stage is acceptance. And that means just letting go of any resistance or conflict in relation to the situation, just fully opening yourself to the reality of your life, including the predicament which is bringing you, uh, which is causing you turmoil. So you just, you know, rather than creating a duality by resisting the situation, you just fully embrace it and surrender to it. And transformation often, you know, occurs in parallel with acceptance. Acceptance is often the, the alchemical power which brings about transformation. Yeah, I'm thinking about how much energy and and that people put toward resistance or shoving it away or no like no or or that just can't be here you know that's I can't, right i can't allow that to be here right yeah yeah, yeah. so when you stop resisting you suddenly f- feel this this freedom and you yeah. feel this new energy inside you because as you as you say all of the conflicts and all of the energy that you've been using is suddenly you know it was is suddenly suddenly released inside you you know, this, this whole thing is so experiential. Like, I love how you have researched it. I really mean that and how you brought these concepts forward um, for an understanding of something that's kind of hard to define. You've defined it. I don't know how you did that, Steve. I just <laughs> don't know how you did it, right? Um, yeah. yeah, good on you. Um, yeah, I, I love also what you said about this space between the one feeling and the one observing, right? There's a space yeah. and that ability to step back so that you get a different perspective on it somehow. And yeah, and, and yeah acceptance. Yeah, can we accept? Probably not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, often, often you don't really have a choice, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's so futile when we, when we resist things that we, you know, we have no control over. Yeah. You know, so often acceptance is just, um, you know, becoming, falling into harmony with what is, falling into harmony with reality. Yeah, and you say that transformation through turmoil, turmoil is more about letting go of beliefs rather than adopting them. And I'm thinking about cognitive dissonance and like, like we were talking about how people are faced with the unfaceable, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's a, a good example is um, there was a guy who was a soldier and he was very traumatized by his experiences. And he spent about 10 years drinking heavily and just feeling depressed and, you know, feeling out of control. But he, a friend of his, gave him a book about Buddhism and he went to a Buddhist monastery and he sat down to meditate. And while he was meditating, he suddenly realized that there was something inside inside him which was not thoughts or feelings. It was something apart from thoughts or feelings. And he suddenly realized that he was not his thoughts or feelings. So he spent 10 years identifying with the thoughts and feelings. And he realized he didn't have to do that. So it was like a, a revelation. You know, it was, you know, being aware of this, this authentic identity inside him, which is not thought-based or feeling-based. Yeah, that's interesting you, you use that because I actually marked that in the book. And I thought that was so brilliant. Um, yeah, I could let these thoughts go. Like, why am I, why am I, why am I thinking this? Why am I stuck there? Yeah. 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 But Very I think he also said that he was aware that the thoughts gave him a sense of identity. You know, your pain gives you a sense of identity. So letting go of the thoughts, letting go of the pain, you know, it also means to extent to an extent letting go of identity. Yeah. What do you hope people really get from this book? And where can people find you? So, yeah, I think there are two things I hope that they they gain from the book. One is I hope people become aware of the the amazing resilience which is inside them, whether they know it or not. Because I, I found, you know, through all of the people I interviewed that, you know, even when people are faced with the most difficult 
most challenging circumstances. You know, the kind of circumstances which we would, would expect would break people down completely. All of the people found a strength and a kind of radiance inside them, which enabled them to cope and to transcend the situations. So I think we human beings, we tend to underestimate ourselves. You know, we, we often only scratch the surface of our potential. And we only really become aware of these amazing reserves of resilience when we're challenged. But they're always there. So I think I hope people realize that they're always there. And the second thing is that I'd like people to be aware that when they face challenges or crises, you know, no matter how difficult they are, they do have a positive after effect. So they will bring growth and transformation. It doesn't mean we should welcome them, but we should see them as a, an opportunity. And there is a positive underside to them. Oh, and um, the best place to reach me is um, through my website, which is stephenmtaylor.com. That's Stephen with a V, M for Mark, stephenmtaylor.com. That's, that's great. Um, I was thinking when you were talking that, you know, we touched on this before, but yeah, there are people, there are many, many people that go through really intense situations and they come out the other side really, really different. And then I also have seen people that get stuck. You yeah. Know, they get stuck in, you know, yeah. Yeah. So well, it, could, it could take them a long time to work through them. Yeah. So I just recommend everybody get Steve, Steve Taylor, Stephen M. Taylor. What a lovely name. His new book, Extraordinary Awakenings When Trauma Leads to Transformation. And Steve, you've also written many other books. I think you have online courses and you're all over the place. Um, mm. I think I've even read some of your stuff in maybe psychology today or some, some, uh, something like that maybe yeah yeah probably mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't don't test me on that one and uh, <laughs> racking through my brain um it was such a delight to have you on the show i feel like we barely scratched the surface i think this is such important information and i hope that everybody listening have a wonderful happy thanksgiving if you're listening to this on thanksgiving and if it's after that remember you can always give thanks and um yeah, let's do this. We can change the world. Thank you so much, Steve. Lots of, Thanks, lots of love and blessings to you from Seattle all the way over there to where you are. Thank you. Same to you. Yeah. And uh, Benny, thank you so much for everything that you do. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today.